Hey, Bob Cooney here with another edition of the practicality of VR brought to you by HTC Vive, where we do a deep dive with people who are actually in the VR business, bringing solutions to market. And we talk about not only the use cases and where it's working, but we talk about some of the challenges that we have to overcome as an industry to be able to see more widespread adoption of a technology that most of us believe is going to be life-changing. And so today, we're going to be diving into education and how VR technology is moving into that space. And again, some of the challenges. With me, I've got Matthew Shosi from Be More Colorful and Stephanie Montgomery, who is the VP of Research and Best Practices for the XRA, the XR Association. Let's start with you, Stephanie. Who are you? And talk a little bit about the XRA and what you guys do. Sure. Thanks, Bob. And I'm happy to be here. So as you said, I'm Stephanie Montgomery, and I'm the Senior VP of Research and Best Practices at the XR Association. And my role here at XRA is to help bring the responsible development of the XR industry writ large, to pay attention to uh, what's going on in the industry, focused on enterprise solutions. Most people come into this VR, mixed reality AR space through that entertainment. They're more familiar with it that way, but there are and have been amazing use cases in the enterprise uh, side. So we like I talk about those kinds of things, do some opinion research, we deep dive into various verticals, and we also try and elevate accessibility to bring that to the forefront so we can make sure that this technology is accessible to everyone, everywhere, all at once, right? We heard that a lot at our AWE meeting or conference last week. So but we that is a really big tenant of this industry overall. So that's a little about who we are, what we do. Um, the last thing I'll add is that we have a big focus on advocacy here at our association to make sure that we're getting the appropriate funding needed from governmental entities. So, Awesome. Thanks. Matt, what about you? Uh, so my name is Matt Shosi. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Be More Colorful. We are an immersive media uh, and 360 video production studio. We have a flagship product called CareerView XR, which uses 360 media, virtual reality video, and web-based virtual tours to bring job sites into the classroom. And are removing those time, geographic, safety, financial, and privacy constraints to be able to bring job sites to people to help them choose more effective careers. Let's stay there for a second. So what's the, um, you, you're, you're, you're focusing on this from a, from a career path standpoint, right? Which is something that, you know, I think in the education world, maybe, there, maybe there's not as many people talking about that or I'm not hearing about it. Why is that important? The last thing you want to do is do your career exploration in college. That's what I did. Six and a half years for my four-year math degree. And it was not because I was failing classes. I was doing well in all my classes. I was taking 20 plus credits. I just could never decide what I wanted to do. It got to be my, my five and a half years in. And I told my parents I was thinking about civil engineering. And they said, not when we're assisting with tuition, you're not. Um, and they said, what are you closest to? And I looked and I was like, I'm pretty close to a math degree. And they said, they said finish that. So, so that's what I did. Ended up being an analyst for a while and then a programmer. And then, uh, then uh, my, my wife actually had this wild idea of uh, let's, let's start this company. Originally thinking we were going to do real estate virtual tours, but I, I digress. Anyway, 
my story is part of why our company is really focused on this career exploration side of things, because to spend all of that time in college doing this career exploration where you're paying for all of those classes and, and when there could have been other opportunities to get exposed to all sorts of things that you might be able to do right out of high school or with a two-year degree or, you know, start in, in, in a career pathway and then decide when's the right time to move on to a more advanced degree to move further down that field. Earlier and more diverse career exploration is, is a critically unmet need um, across K-12 and higher ed, even adult career seekers. You don't know what you can decide to do unless you know that job exists. And that's what, what XR and VR and 360 video can be exceptionally good at is giving you a sense of, do I know what this, what this career is? Do I know what these pathways are? Is it something that I can get access to? Uh, accessibility is the fundamental, uh, fundamental problem that's being solved. And so when you say accessibility, what do you mean by that? Because that can mean a lot of things from a lot of different yeah. perspectives. Yeah, it, it does. And, and when I say accessibility, I'm talking about equity and access to, to actual careers. Think about being on top of a wind turbine. If you wanted to know if you wanted to do that career, you can't just go climb up a wind turbine. We know because we tried to get permission to actually go up and film one. And it took two years before we could actually find the right partner to be able to go and create that experience. But now that we have that, anyone with a VR headset can pop that VR headset on and see what it's like inside the nacelle and see what it's like climbing up the three series, the series of three, uh, 80 foot ladders to get up to the top of that thing and what it's like standing on on the top of those. And so are you are you focusing on on careers that have those types of barriers to accessibility of experience or or do you think this is, you know, VR is something that can actually transcend and, and work in more pedestrian careers, let's say? Well, you can consider the more pedestrian career, like n careers that we all know about, right? N registered nurse, for instance, right? We've, we all interact with nurses on, on, you know, a semi-regular basis, you know, if you're going in for annual checkups or whatever, students can't job shadow a nurse. It, it, what was difficult before, uh, before COVID is now impossible. It, it, teachers cannot set up a time for job shadowing a registered nurse in an actual healthcare facility. And that's not just a K-12 issue, that's into higher ed as well. Um, we created a, a several experiences for uh, North Dakota State University where we're able to get into some healthcare environments and show what a respiratory therapist is doing and show what some of these, these lesser known healthcare careers are that you would never choose unless you had an opportunity to see and understand what it is. Um, so, so accessibility, it, it starts at just making the content, uh, making, making these career experiences accessible via new technology that is now available. It goes beyond that, of course, as well, because there's cool. you know, digital inclusion and, and equity across uh, accessibility across devices, that sort of thing. And that's where, you know, we're really focusing also on not just having content that's relying on headsets, but content that can be accessed from any standard device as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so multimodality is really important. Yeah. yeah. Right. Stephanie, what's it? Yeah, because that's what I was thinking about these, you know, the headsets are again, not, you know, they're, they're slow to penetrate the market, they're expensive, they're, they're kind of mostly enthusiast devices now on the consumer side. And so 
what's happening in the education market as far as the appetite and the budget for you know acquiring the technology and then deploying it in a way that makes it accessible to students that don't have the budget to buy their own devices. And then we can talk a little bit about the 2D, 3D conundrum. Right. So let me just springboard a little bit off what Matt, with a little bit of what Matt was talking about too. And then I'll, then I'll come to, to that for sure. Matt, you had some great examples there of, of like try it experiences, right? So I'll just put out there, Walmart has put a million people in headsets doing micro trainings. These people, these, the next generation workforce is going to meet this technology. So basic familiarity with it to start out is going to be super helpful for them. It won't be a surprise when they find it in the workforce somewhere. Accenture has onboarded over 90,000 people in headsets, right? So it's out there and you can find it. In addition to that, there are a couple of major companies on the other side who, if someone has tried the manufacturing floor in a tried experience like Matt builds and decides whether or not they like it, then if they decide they don't like it, they won't apply for that job, right? And so there's a whole bunch of processing and churn and money spent that won't happen because they know already that manufacturing floor is not for me, right? So those there, are Stephanie, big... just just on that, do we are we yeah. seeing any data yet around people who, you know, go through this path and what the churn rate or the turnover rate is for people who use this technology to explore before they commit it, or is it just too early for that? So that is happening somewhat on the, like not in the education space, but on the onboarding phase, right? There are a couple of major companies who were really having problems with retention of employees that they would go through their whole onboarding process, go on the floor and then ghost out, right? And it was it was big numbers. We're talking more than 50% turnover, right? They started a VR experience. So that before you ever got on the floor and early on in the process of onboarding, you'd applied for a position, you tried, and saw what it would be like to be on the floor. And then at that point, the, the candidate could be like, oh, oh, I, I was mistaken, right? This is not for me. So they actually flipped that number. And now having, having added that VR experience, going all the way through the process, the people who are actually hired and go on the floor, stay on the floor and have a career at that location. So yeah, there's great. no hard data there, but there is a there are a couple of really good anecdotal use cases with numbers that Show, that show prove the, the case point and that yeah, and you, if we do it we, we do it earlier it's even better so if we do it you know with be more colorful doing all these triad spaces in advance it, it's even better writ large for for everyone right as far as the education space is concerned and deployment we're seeing a lot more deployments of xr technology at universities morehouse university coming out of covid they really struggled so they actually built a digital twin of their campus and they have more engagement and better grades and better outcomes for students in using their, their VR spaces and their virtual spaces. One of the really, I think, and Matt, you know this, one of the really important things about this technology is when you put on a headset or engage in an, in an, in an augmented reality environment, you are in that moment. You are doing nothing else outside of that moment, right? Which just means your attention, the way your brain works is more focused on the task at hand. Therefore, you're taking in more, you're learning more. If you build the, the experiences in a way that people have agency and choice over their learning, it's even mm -hmm. better. So we're seeing that happen. There are still, I would say, challenges because it's a new technology, right? So the technology is still evolving today. We just saw a headset roll out this week, right? There are fleet management problems. 
There's training IT teams on how you manage the physical devices that's that's coming along. Companies like Matt and others are really helping to docent those along and train up IT support teams for, for how you manage this stuff. Uh, but we we see it in a lot of places. I mean, there, there are many universities that are rolling things out, both domestically and internationally. So we, we are aware of a couple of universities in Canada that are doing this. British Columbia University has a graduate school program where they are teaching people how to build things in VR. And, and outside of try it and try other careers, we also need a workforce for this XR technology space too. So there's kind of parallel things going on here, right? And it's not just going to be your coders. It's going to be your artists creating these vi very visual, vivid spaces. So there, there really is a lot here. And then on the accessibility yeah. side for like how we can bring it to all kinds of populations, we also have the how can we have our developers think about people who might be disabled, right? Whether that's blind, which is a, a can be a big cognitive disconnect, but we are really looking at how to do alt text and you know, identify 3D images for people who have low vision or no vision. And there's a whole spectrum of vision out there, right? Um, to be able to be sure that they can engage in what's happening in enterprise space with this technology. For the deaf, for people who are missing limbs, or just people who have a cast on for a particular period of time, right? It's hard to manipulate the controllers when one thumb is all, you know, all, all, all controlled by a cast, as my son will tell you, since he was trying to use the VR headset and play a game with a cast on. It wasn't easy. <laughs> Matt, you've you guys have chosen to use 360 video. What's the you know, there was a big, you know, in the early days of VR in the, in the you know, 2016, 2017, there was a big push for 360 video. Yep. And, and then, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of faded away. And I think it was more from an entertainment perspective where yep. there's some real challenges with, you know, directorial, you know, like where do people look and why? And it kind of made people a little bit uncomfortable. Why, why 360 video? And then, and then what are some of the production challenges that, that you guys have found? Oh boy. Yeah. So two, two questions that I could probably take an hour to, uh, for each to answer, but I'll, I'll try to condense it. So as far as why 360 video, when we're working with helping students choose career paths, showing a real environment and real people doing real work in that environment is critically important. Um, now, I'm not knocking any of the, the full six degrees of freedom, um, interact and, and, you know, work the control panel or, you know, work, walk through the safety procedure. That's really, really important. But there all, there's also a fundamental issue on just the awareness side of things. And if you want just basic awareness of an environment and you want something that has a defined timeline it doesn't require a sequence of steps to happen in order for the next thing to happen 360 video is a really really great way to create that content in a cost-effective manner so we produce field trip and job shadow experiences using 360 video we also teach our clients how to capture their own because it's really an untapped resource you might need to use it you could use 360 video to readily record a particular process that might only happen one or two times a year in your facility, right? And now you have that documented and you can put someone in that environment, seeing the sights, hearing the sounds, everything else tuned out, and they're in that environment focused on what's happening right there. So that's why why we love 360 video. I, th I think that it has, it, 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 
kind of was an upswing. And then as you mentioned, Bob, it, it kind of lost some, some popularity, but I, I think that now that we're able to, to, really show some some applied use cases for it, particularly on the career exploration front, people are really starting to see a lot of value in that. And we see 360 video as the first step in just exploring and being aware of, do I even know this job exists? And then you can move into those more progressive, interactive, immersive environments where you are learning how to do the tasks. But I need to know what the job is and what the environments are where I'd be working if I want to know, if I'm if I want to decide if I want to spend the time to learn yeah. how to do the tasks in that environment. Yeah. Are you using three, are you using 3d video or is it 2d 360? So we played with stereoscopic and it, it was really cool. But what we also found is that the amount of process, the, the amount of post-production time involved, and then the size of the files stored on the headsets, we, we, we hit diminishing returns pretty quickly. And most of our clients couldn't really tell a difference. So if we were going to be telling a cinematic story and really like um, I, I mounted a uh, Insta360 Pro 2 to the top of my car and drove through Needles Highway um, in, in the Black Hills in South Dakota. And it's it, it, we, we did that in stereoscopic uh, 360 and that is gorgeous. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I got a lot of weird looks <laughs> driving this, this thing around. Um, but I mean, I, I think there's a time and a place for it, for what we're doing, because we really want to get over the shoulder of the operator or right in the middle of the meeting that you might be having and showing what it feels like to be there. The monoscopic 360 is, is a tool that works well for that and the trade-offs with um, efficiency, file size, speed of production, it, it, for most situations where we're filming, that, may, that makes the most sense. What would make it easier for you guys to be able to, um, you know, you talk about over the shoulder view, you're talking about letting um, your clients create their own content. What are some of the, you know, the challenges to you to scale the opportunity? Like, you know, is it, is it more content and more verticals and what would make that easier? What we're really working to do, we, we're building basically a, a list of partners that are industry partners that are helping us fill up a library of content. We used to be a production-oriented company where you company X hires us to produce an experience. We charge them to produce that, that content. Um, we've since moved away from that, and we're creating more industry-focused experiences that have a broader appeal to a larger number of people. So it's more of a Netflix-style model now where we create a library of experiences, particularly for career exploration, that um, students and, and even job placement agencies and even college career centers subscribe to access. So they've read, they're readily able to answer some of those questions with students and job seekers about what their different career options are. As we move down that path, we've actually talked with a number, we've got a couple partners right now, we're working on training them how to film content. We've already built an experience with them where we filmed it, but our production costs are pretty high for flying across the country to film when we have really what we need is the raw content to produce those things. So we are working on building out a network of 
both industry partners and even you know, uh, media production companies that can produce the raw content that we need to keep our costs down to then build out our library of, of experiences even further. Um, it's a model that's worked in in like residential real estate virtual tours. So we're, we're working to see if we can make that happen in the, uh, in the career exploration space as well. You know, Stephanie, you'd mentioned where universities are deploying this. It's not just a matter of deploying it for, for education, but also to educate students on how to create the content. I wonder if there's not a, a connection there where, you know, some of the universities that want to adopt this as, as a way of making sure that students are on the right career path, if they do, and there's not a conflict of interest there, uh, which we don't have to get into. <laughs> um, you know, is there, a, you know, it's, it's a really interesting kind of meta, not company meta, but meta opportunity there. Yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, it's not only like the, the universities are using it to teach subjects like math and chemistry, et cetera, but it's also then that whole design uh, aspect and the what the skills you are and exploring a career in XR technology as well. Yep. Right. So that the British uh, British Columbia University, right, that we're working with, they have, have their graduate students coming from a nursing college, from a real estate space. We'll definitely talk about you, Matt, when we do this, <laughs> and and a couple of other domains. So it's not it's not they're not coming from this computer science space. They're coming from the spaces where they see their careers, those those horizontals where they see their careers, and then how can they do coming technology to make their careers even better and stronger? And what does it mean to design? So they're they're actually bringing to you that intersection of something you're passionate about, like real estate and how XR and this AR and mixed reality technology can make your real estate even more like that, that career view, even more exciting and passionate about. Right. So that that is a really interesting space yeah, that cool. people are going in and exploring. And, and it's happening also at the high school level. I mean, there are a couple of really, um, really outspoken teachers out there who are doing that technology class. And having students build their own AR experiences, their own using um, using different headset types, building their own experiences in VR. So they're already getting this, how do I build? How do I design? What does it take? And it's not, I think there's a, at least I certainly had coming from like taking my foreign language in college as C++. See, that's how I did that, Matt. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I have the sense it's like all hard coding, but for for this technology, it's not. There are there are really easy to use interfaces for how to build experiences, and so just learning that the barriers to entry are lower than you might expect when you're starting out in your career is really helpful. Yeah, and and with AI now coming and being integrated in all these tools, it looks like it's going to get easier. Whether or not that's just a, an illusion or not, we'll have to we'll have to see. You mentioned digital twins. You said Morehouse College you know, was building a digital twin campus. Talk a little bit about, about what is a digital twin? Not know who's watching this and, and why do they matter? Why, why go through the, the cost and, and, and trouble of creating a digital twin of a campus? Sure. So you, a digital twin. Yeah. yeah, I can take that. Is that, yeah. So a digital twin of like a campus, for example, is a, a meeting space designed around the physical campus you already have, which can be highly effective when you're talking about a diverse student body population, right? Let's say you want to bring in um, students who are further away, their commutes are like two or three hours, but they still want to kind of have that feeling of what it's like to come into 
a collegiate campus space, which can be very powerful and empowering, especially for students who maybe they're the first one in their family to ever go to college, right? And so they can come into a virtual, have that same kind of walking into or landing into a virtual space, passing, walking through the space in a virtual environment, meeting in the classroom with a bunch of people. And if it's, for example, let's say it's chemistry, right? They can actually have a 3D model they can manipulate of whatever the atom is, which you can't do in chemistry because atoms are so tiny, right? And, and think about that all the way through from, any, from all kinds of aspects like that. You can go into a space where you can take a virtual tour of, let's say, the pyramids in Gaza, right? So it's really effective for that. And then from the student side, it's also useful. They save on that commute, but also maybe they're working and they're raising kids at the same time. They could also be met where they are, when they are, and not have to worry or have those anxieties about, all right, what am I going to do with my, you know, with my child while I'm taking this class for two and a half hours on site at a campus, right? So they have, there's a lot more benefits on both sides. It allows the universities to bring in a broader student body, a broader diversity of students, which is always useful. We learn a lot about how diversity really drives better outcomes. The more lived experiences you have in the room to share with each other, the, the better it is for everyone as a whole. They learn about different perspectives, right? There's more empathy building. And from the student side, it, it really allows them to, to make universities and higher education work for them, which then, as we all know, you know, increases their earning power, increases and just has better outcomes across the board. And Stephanie, you'd mentioned uh, reducing anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, on, on that note, we've created a number of experiences that have been used by organizations to decrease anxiety for folks that are, are neurodiverse on the autism spectrum, for instance, where it's terrifying to go into a new environment that you've never seen before, but to be able to use XR technology, like a digital twin of a campus or <laughs> being able to go and see and walk that path, like, okay, now this is familiar to me. So when I get there in person, I, I know, I know where the exits are. I know what my, I know a bit about what my experience is going to be. So it's not as foreign to me and it's not, it, it doesn't trigger those, those um, high, high anxiety level responses that, that I might have if I'd never been there before. Absolutely. And college tours too. I have a student who might be taking college tours too soon. So doing them virtually, not having to fly all the way across the country, right? That's super yeah. helpful. Uh, are we seeing, how are we seeing universities, you know, how do they view this stuff? Like, like you go in, you know, Matt, you're pitching it to them or, you, you know, or, or, you know, or regardless of what level K-12 or, or, or university there's like, what's the reception to this? Is it ranging from, you know, get the hell out of here to curiosity to give it to me or what's the. So I, I've got a story I can share on, on that front. I won't, I won't name the institution, but uh, uh, the very first institution that we were at, we offered to create this full campus virtual tour. We offered 500 scenes showing all of the departments, all of the student activities, everything. And we, and we offered to do it for pennies on the dollars, like an 80% discount from what our rates were. We, we would have lost big time on it, but we wanted, we wanted to do it because it would have been a great first project for us. And the person for admissions uh, looked straight at us and said, what, so were your guinea pigs or something? <laughs> so like, okay, my, if I'd been thinking, it was a research institution, so I've been thinking I should have said, oh, this is a re research university, right? <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I digress. But um, I, I think that it was, there's, there is, there's a, a hurdle 
um, of overcoming. When you think VR, when you think XR, a lot of people think, oh, games and, and entertainments. And why would we use that for this? So that for a lot of institutions, there is that hurdle that you still have to overcome. We've been able to do that successfully with a number of organizations, higher ed institutions in particular, but that still persists a little bit. So I think overcoming a bit of that um, is is w- one of the biggest challenges. That said, we've had we've actually found a lot more success working with individual departments within higher ed than trying to work with an entire campus right out of the gate because departments have very specific problems that we're working to, that they're maybe working to solve. We worked with uh, um, plant sciences departments creating a series of virtual tour experiences that had their training, their standard training videos embedded within that so that they could see the context of the location of the space, the instrument instrumentation or tools that were there, and then watch the video and be able to, to, see that and, and and replicate that without having to have a supervisor there to actually walk them through the space and show them this is what X does. So I, I think it really comes down to understanding their problems and being able to provide a solution with XR technology for those problems. That That's what, get, what gets it, folks it, in higher end over the hump. It, is there budget at the department level? Typically, yes. Um, I mean, it, it it varies by campus, uh, obviously, but most departments do have a a training or a recruitment budget. Or, I mean, it, and and the nice thing about like, things like digital twins and virtual tours is they can be used for multiple purposes. You can use it for recruiting. You can use it for training. You can use it um, for employee onboarding. I mean, there's all kinds of applications for it once you've created it, but you got to get people thinking about what's that first thing? What's that first problem I can solve with it? And then the floodgates are open and they say, oh, we could do this. We could do this. Like, oh, well, yeah, you could. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's really interesting because I know, you know, the, the big institutions, and I, and I use that word almost metaphorically, tend to move really slow and evolve really slow. And we did a, a webinar in military and we found, and one of the things that I learned was that where this is happening is, is at the squad level. It's not happening at the, at the top level. It's actually individual like squads that have a problem to, you know, to be able to fix an, a certain type of airplane are deploying this. And, and so it's really interesting that's happening in, in the education world too. Um, Stephanie, what's, what's the XRA doing? Cause you know, some of this, you guys do a lot of lobbying and, and you're really active in trying to you know, build awareness and education around this. What are you guys doing in the education market specifically to try to grease the skids for, for this stuff? So specifically, we're working on last year, we developed a guide for developers who wanted to build into that high school space. So what do you need to consider as a developer from here are some of the challenges that you'll have to address. Like if you're going to roll out into, into that secondary education level, you need to make sure that you have a thought about modalities. It can't just be a single way to access. You have to think about assessments. You have to think about how long people can be in these headsets, right? Or really how many, in the case of secondary education, the class, the length of class is limiting, right? It's anywhere from 50 to 80 minutes. So you have a lot, teachers are doing a lot. So considering those kinds of things. We've also, we also did a, a opinion survey of teachers working with the, um, with ISTE, with the International Techno- Technology Education Society. And so working with them, we pulled 
1,400 teachers in this space about their opinions and what they would use it for. And they are super excited to get this technology and they would almost use it in any class they can think of, right? But they recognize some of the Why limitations. Why do you think that is? Like, what is, it, what is it about it that's exciting to them beyond you know the novelty of it? Right, so they're seeing where they can get engagements from their students as well as a way to like be repeatable, right? Like once you've built it once, you can use it year over year over year. And it's easy in some ways to, to put it into the curriculum. So they would love to have kind of out of the can things that are like experiences that tie right into the curriculums they're building. They can see they're, they're never going to take their kids on, on a field trip to uh, France during the revolution, right? But if you had practiced and managed and had an experience that you could just stick a couple of kids in the headset, cast it to the Prometheus board, right? And show them what it was like to be there during the French Revolution. That would be like life-changing for every kid who saw that, right? Mm -hmm. So they they can see that. They can understand that. They can understand that maybe they're, for their labs in biology for the high school class, they're not going to be able to have everybody dissect a cow's eyeball, but they could in VR, Yeah. right? So there's a lot of efficacy there, but the the challenges, and I know we wanted to get into that a little bit of those deployments are kind of just ma- how do you manage the devices, right? Just all the challenges we have with Chromebooks today, right? This is the, it's the same challenges that you're going to have with any kind of device you're bringing into the classroom, making sure that they're clean, you're not passing things along, and we put out a cleanliness guide this year based on manufacturer guidance. So that's another product that XR provides to people who are interested in learning like, how to do this kind of stuff, right? And so, and then, and then, then how do you do, how do you deal with students and behavior too? So all those things are in there and have to be worked out. And the way we, as a community, the way we work it as an industry is to talk to people, tell them, this is how you do it. You know, be more colorful does a lot of that. I'm sure handholding teachers through the process. Right? You know, I'm, I'm really glad, Stephanie, that you mentioned the casting side of things, because that mm-hmm. one of the biggest barriers that we see from teachers is that they are so scared or intimidated by the thought of this classroom set of headsets that now I have to make these, make sure these things are charged and that I know how to set them all up and how am I going to manage where the students are at. And one of the, one of the messaging, one of the big messages that we provide to teachers is that you do not have to start with a classroom head of set of headsets. In fact, you should not mm-hmm. because you are going to spend a ton of money on the hardware and it may be overwhelming to be able to use. And then they're just going to sit and collect dust. And then you're going to say, well, it doesn't add any value. It, it's just, it's this it's this thing that we have, but we haven't been able to figure out how to use it. Start with one headset. Start with having one of your students bring in a headset and, and play around with it and get, get the class, you know, get the classes thinking about, get your department thinking about how you could use it. Um, that That's what we really encourage folks to do. And most of the schools where, where we deploy our solution, they're buying one or two headsets to start. We recently had a school that purchased another 15 because the first two worked great. And now they know how it's going to be deployed for them. So that, that would be one of the biggest things is I would say, don't be intimidated by the technology. Realize that you can start small and you should start small so that you can build something that is successful and then grow on that success. Where, where do you see opportunities? Like, so there's an ecosystem and obviously this is like not even day one of getting VR into the education system. 
Um, and so where do you see opportunities in the ecosystem that you'd like to see some, you know, some, some entrepreneurs or new companies coming in or, you know, there's still room to play here that you think could help drive adoption? I think we just need more people building in this space. It's going to be, this is, this is a really huge industry we're talking about that's coming in the next 10, 15, 20 years, right? There are not enough good designers and developers out there yet. There's not libraries that you can just pull down. I mean, that's a big thing. Talking to um, Pennsylvania Pittsburgh Children's Hospital recently, and we had an opportunity to see their developer, and ta he talked about everything he went through just to build an operating table, starting with a block, right? So they're not even sweets. Mm. Uh, that's I'm sure that's Matt. One of the reasons why you went to this 360 stuff because it's it takes forever to build an operating table. It looks like the operating table in your space from a from a block, right? Much less building out like a classroom space or any other experience. Just starting there. So we'll just be more and more moving along to get like object libraries put together with built-in alt text for those kids who are attending these universities who yep. can't hear or can't see right so just building all that up getting all that muscle memory in there that's where i really see the opportunity like there's so much opportunity in this space to have developers and designers come in with their with their passion project even like they want to solve global warming what can you do in this space to help solve to help bring awareness to that solution and help solve that it's it's just going to grow and grow bob it's so exciting what about you, Matt? What do, what do you see? What do you see is like the the opportunity in in your space that if somebody came in, it would it would and solve the problem that would actually you know grease the skids for your growth. Finding finding some ways for we work with a lot of rural schools and and budgets are a big mm -hmm. issue for rural schools. So so budgetary constraints for the hardware is one of the biggest things right now. So if there was one of the things that we're working on in, in our state of North Dakota is, is we're, we are working on figuring out a, a statewide deployment of the career solution that we have um, and, and doing that in a way where schools can share resources and turn to each other as a resource. Because when it is, when it is institution A deciding we're going to move forward and do this, if they've got the resources and the momentum and the persistence to do it they're going to be great and successful but you can only have so many of those islands that are successful most are probably getting our might may burn out we need to hit critical mass of of, un, of universities schools that have adopted it so that they can support each other just like they do with everything else that that's out there um there need there need to be we need to hit critical mass uh, mass of institutions using it so that there can be you know not just the xra which i were members of the xra i love the xra but there should be an xr university association as well that is that just like there there's an admissions group and there's a registrar's group there needs to be a, a higher ed xr group that that supports the adoption of these things across those institutions yeah and one of the things you know you talked about you know doing it at the classroom level or the subject level you know and we've, we we kind of touched on it a little bit but who owns like so my guess is it's a pretty matrixed conversation that you have to within the organization like and but ultimately who's making the decisions who does control the budget for this stuff in order for it to scale Do, any advice there or insights so what, one of the biggest challenges there is that there are in, in, in any education, so I used to work in higher ed for 10 years in 
finance and administration and and programming and uh, so the the database side of finance and administration with any institution whether it's higher ed or whether it is k-12 there are a small number of people that can say yes to approving a budget for something and there is a whole list of people that have no approval or budgets that have veto power over an entire project. And that's one of the biggest problems with XR is you get all the budget people saying, yes, we want it. And you have the one person over here. It could be the tech director who had a tough time with whatever with another device. And he's saying, nope, I don't want it. And then it's done. And that is, and then it's, it's put off for another year or two. Five. And Stephanie, what you know? What do you guys see at, at the association level around that? And what is it, if anything, is being done to, to try to you know, people that maybe don't have a financial stake in it, but can be the can be the blocker to a deployment like this? Yeah. So there, there are kind of two things we see here. One is uh, the technology is still new and evolving, right? And so outside of that price point, which is which is pretty high, right? Um, especially when talking about schools, it's also not like, am I going to be able to use it in 10 years? Right. I mean, we, we've already seen some technologies in this headset kind of go away. I'll, you know, we'll just call out Google Glass right now. Everybody does. Right. <laughs> so, so there's still this evolution. And there's, a, there's this staying power, right? Like, am I really going to adopt something that I'm only going to be able to use for a limited time? That's a big consideration. And then there is that, that fleet management side. Okay. And I, and I love the idea, and I think that's really important to bring teachers on, super promoters, and start small and then grow bigger. But once you get to a certain size and you're talking about a statewide deployment, now you need a statewide plan for how to take care of these devices, right? Yeah. And there, as far as I know, there's like one or two companies out there who do fleet management in this space, and that's it. So those are the kind of the, the two high-level things that we see that we talk about in our developer's guide as, as real challenges that need to be overcome by the industry or addressed by the industry in some way. Yeah, fair enough. And 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 I think that as the technology is evolving so rapidly right now and we're just in this exponential, you know, growth curve around usability and 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 feature set and and you know, and, and if you're gonna create content across the platform of devices, the feature set kind of has to be standardized a little bit, right? We saw a lot of fragmentation in the early days of you know, Android operating systems, where there was 15 operating systems all over the world at the same time and they all had different features and developers had to you know, create 15 different versions of an app to run across a whole ecosystem of devices. And so, you know, I think, I think it's just going to take some time for that to, to settle a little bit. And hopefully, you know, that, that makes it a bit easier. From a finance standpoint, are there, do, do they need to write checks for this stuff? And, and you know, because you, you talked about fleet management and, and sharing. Is there a way for institutions to share from a budgetary standpoint, or are these budgets so siloed that 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 becomes its own friction point? I'll say some of the funding today and some deployments that I've seen have come from grants or programs. So either the manufacturers are supporting a deployment in education and and working with various institutions to to get the headsets out, or there's grant funding from like NSF or from Department of Ed to help support emerging technologies being deployed at university level, right? And, and to help build. So, so those are those are two of the funding models that I've seen for getting budget in. Um, but I don't I don't have any insight into like within the universities how siloed they are. I do know that in other institutions they can yeah. get very siloed, right? 
Yeah, I think I think a lot of that depends on the size of the institution. We work with a lot of two-year institutions that are able to make decisions very quickly and and get moving. And then the four-year and research institutions doing something on a campus-wide level may take years to to happen. So it's kind of there there are kind of those um, departments that are a little bit more progressive or forward thinking that might pave the way. Um, we recently did a, a deployment of VR headsets with an animal sciences department that wanted to create uh, swine and dairy farm virtual tour experiences with VR videos to show first year ag students what it's like to be in those environments. And who would think that an ag program is going to be the most one of the most forward-thinking departments on the campus, but they've had a huge problem to solve. Um, you cannot just walk into a swine facility. You, you have to shower in because you have to be clean to get in with the pigs so that you don't get them sick. And mm -hmm. and it's th those kinds of problems that can pave the way, I think, to, to institutions thinking more about how this can be a, a, a broader solution. Love to see new ideas hatching out of our schools. <laughs> nice, very nice. <laughs> so, what if you guys? Last question: If you guys could have a like, your you, you, the 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 VR genie just popped into your office and said, "I grant you one wish." We'll start with you, Stephanie. What what one wish in this space would you want to see granted? I would like to see access to this technology for all. That's what I'd like to see. I would like to see every Title I kid be able to try a headset. That's what I want to see happen so that we can really help help bridge that divide and raise all of us up, right? So we all have a better understanding of what's happening. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, awesome. What about you, Matt? Mm -hmm. I, I would I would double down on that. A, a headset in, I'd, I'd say, one or more headsets, maybe different varieties, an AR headset and a, a more economical VR headset in every school, not just there, but is used on a daily basis by multiple departments or, or divisions. Yeah, that's great. I think the accessibility for new emerging tech will continue to challenge that our society has to has to address. And as this stuff, you know, hopefully, like it took us years, like, I don't know, how long did it take for tablets to make their way? And you said, you mentioned earlier, Stephanie, Chromebooks, mm -hmm. you know, being and it was just, it felt like such a no brainer, but it just took forever. And I still see, every time I see a kid carrying, you know, 60 pounds worth of books in their backpack and, you know, and we can have every book ever written on our phone. And I'm just like, why is this taking so long? And, and those are some of the challenges you guys are fighting every single day and, and good on y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Last words, Matt. Well, I, boy, I've really appreciated the opportunity to get in here. I know that we're just working in a little sliver of this whole XR uh, industry, but it's it's exciting to be be able to be a company that's getting getting organizations thinking about their first look at the technology. And and we always encourage people to move on to, hey, you know, once once you've tasted 360 media and you're really liking this, look at all this other cool stuff you can do with it too. And not just cool stuff, but look at these big problems you can solve with this tech. Start, you know, start small and then start thinking bigger. Um, I'm just, I'm excited to and honored to have an opportunity to, to come and chat about, uh, about what we're doing and, and contribute in, in a little way to hopefully help and have uh, more adoption of the tech. Yeah, look, and I love I love what you guys are doing, which is this, you know, you're taking a problem, 
that's that's widespread and known, and you've created a fairly straightforward, simple solution to that problem, which is which is massive. Right? I mean, you, you, and, and you talked about your own experiences, you know, getting on the wrong career path, and all of a sudden you're wasting your, you know tons of money and time at a critical age that you can't recoup. And 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 so you know, I think the future of 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 virtual reality is you know, all of these companies coming out with these little, these use cases that are very narrow and very specific, but have huge impact. And, and like you said, they'll experience that. And then they start thinking, where else can I use this? And I think it's, um, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Well done. Um, Stephanie, what about you? What's final, final parting thoughts? I uh, cannot tell you, I, this technology is, culturally changing, just like we saw the cell phone culturally change us, right? And there are so many amazing, positive impacts that this technology is going to have across every domain. And I mean, think of the career and I can give you a, and so can Matt, we can give you a VR solution to whatever it is, where theater doesn't matter, right? Museums, we've got it covered. Healthcare, it's amazing in healthcare. Training at DOD, as you mentioned, Bob, it's great for that too, right? We're going to see more and more of that. It's going to be, I am super excited to see the transformative power of XR and we have to do it in a way where we're thoughtful and responsible and can bring everybody with us and that we're, that uh, we're transparent in what's happening. Right. But we're, we will get there and um, it's just, it's going to be amazing to look back in 10 years and see where we were like today. Right. Yeah. Think of us in the yeah, '90s absolutely. and think of where we are today. People, yeah, I know, right? Um, how do people learn more about the XRA? So you can visit us at xra.org. Um, we are online, and we have a ton of information out there from use cases to our developers' guides. We are um, we have a couple of videos out there. We have a comic book to explain to you with using Kayla how you're going to use XR all day long, from trying on makeup to taking a class in medical school to exercising. So it's really a fun way to just kind of see what the impact of the technology overall can be. All right, cool. And Matt, how do people learn more about um, CareerView XR and Be More Colorful? Yep. Um, well, you can jump out to our website. Our company website is bemorecolorful.com. Uh, we've got all kinds of cool uh, community uh, and and informational educational experiences out there, including an old abandoned missile silo. Go, go check that one out. That uh, that one's kind of fun. Um, but then uh, www.careerviewxr.com is our uh, is our CareerViewXR product page where you can go and and explore. We've got a few different career experiences out there and and. I'd say, yeah, reach out to us. I'd love to chat with you on on whatever your uh, whatever your your project might be. Well, love love a love a good brainstorming session. Yeah, cool. I wonder, do you have a course on on what it's like to be a webinar moderator for a living? <laughs> Could do that. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Matt, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking um, the time to be with us today and help educate the world on you know what's happening in your little sliver of the xr of the xr world this is bob cooney on behalf of htc vive this has been an episode of the practicality of vr and until next time peace